For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for his blessing on this time as we consider his word. Father, now as we look at this passage in Romans and as we have looked at this uh, just amazing letter written by Paul and the, the great depths that he goes to help us to understand Christ and the gospel and what it means to be both lost and then saved and now what it means to grow in grace as we know you, we pray that this would be a fruitful time for us as your spirit works in our hearts and among us as a people. We pray this in Christ's name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we're in Romans 12, and as I said, we're running through the gospel. We've gone actually fairly quickly uh, through the book of Romans. I think in, in total, it's something like 42 or 44 weeks that we are spending in Romans as a whole. And, uh, and then, you know, every once in a while having a break for whatever reason. Um, at the end of this month, I'm actually going to be in Tacoma, Washington at a, a conference for an entire week. And so I'll be missing a Sunday there um, and so, you know, that'll be a small break. But we're running through this book and we're seeing the big picture of what Paul is trying to explain as the gospel. And when I, when I say that, I know that I use the word gospel enough that it starts to, like anything will, like you tell your kids something and then after a while they just stop hearing you, right? Because they just heard the same thing. You've always phrased it the same way. You always use the same word. And so you have to sometimes change that up a little bit and just make sure that everybody's on the same page, that your kids are not just letting it go right over their head as kids tend to do. And so um, as we just think about the word gospel, it is simply to say that there is a good news to proclaim and that we as Christians proclaim it or we as people who aren't Christians hear it. It's just like any news. If, if something bad were to happen and, you know, another terrorist attack happened in the United States, and you turn on the TV and everybody would be talking about the same thing. You'd go to the sports channel. They're not going to be talking about sports. They're going to be talking about that because it's one huge piece of information that everybody has to talk about. All the, all the comedy shows, remember 9-11, they all stopped or they all started talking seriously. And it was like, it's weird. You know, it's just like for a week, everybody just stopped being funny because it was such a serious moment. The truth is, for 2,000 years, Christians have had that same moment and need to have that same sense of urgency. That there is this one thing, this, this one note that we are to play, this one melody that needs to be repeated over and over again. This one word, gospel, that needs to be on, on the, the forefront of our minds and on the tips of our tongues and always ready to be proclaimed. There's this one message that I preach every week. If you come here week by week, you hopefully will not grow bored with what I say, but you should have it absolutely gripped in your mind, the word gospel. And if that's not what you hear, if you don't hear Jesus over and over and over, then I have not done my job as a preacher. 
Lord willing, again, it shouldn't be boring. It shouldn't just say, hey, we know, well, we'll just keep saying the word Jesus, keep saying the word gospel, and we'll keep just preaching the same message. We don't even need to go through letters of the Bible. We'll just shrink it all down to just one thing. I once was um, confronted by somebody who came to church on a Sunday morning, and they wanted to talk after, and um, they, they said, I, I, I think your preaching is really good, but there's a problem is you, you talk about different things. I'm like, what do you... What? what? <laughs> like, who says that? You know, you talk, about, you talk about too many different things. I was like, what are you talking about? And they said, you know, we, we only have one message. It's the gospel. And so every week it should be the exact same thing. Like literally the exact same thing with the very slightest of variations. Well, the Bible has one message and many messages that make up that one message, doesn't it? It always points to Christ, Old Testament and New. It always points to the gospel. It always points to our sin and the salvation found in Christ. It's all that same one message. Um, my, my, uh, one of my favorite preachers and a, and a friend of mine, Mark Dever, uh, he preached one sermon on the whole Bible, and he called it Promises Made, Promises Kept. And then he preached two sermons on the whole Bible. And the first sermon was Promises Made on the Old Testament, and then the second sermon was Promises Kept on the... New Testament. Okay, this is not confusing, right? Good. You guys can all do 2 plus 2 equals 4. We're, on, we're starting off on a good way today. Um, so, it, it is this one message, but it's, it, it's fleshed out in so many different ways. And then as we continue to travel through that, we realize that, it's, and you guys know this, life is complex. It's, it's just very complex. How many of you right now are wishing that about 70 things could be just pushed aside in your life so you could focus on five or ten, right? It just feels overwhelming. In my own house just this week, I mean, the conversations between my wife and I about just the many different things, and last night we were talking, and, and she starts going, oh, we got to deal with this, and we got to talk about this, and we got to do, and it was like, oh, you know, just let me just be ready to preach tomorrow, and then we can talk about all those extra things that we're not yet doing right, you know, and more things that need to change, and more conversations we had just it just seems like it's never ending it's because it is and the great thing about god's word is that god just doesn't go well i'm just going to say promises made promises kept and then you know equals jesus or something and then everybody gets the same equation and they just keep doing that same physics for the rest of their life it's not like that what god does is he says I'm always going to point back to that foundation, but then I'm going to show how this thing blooms. We were singing this song. It says, fair flowers of paradise extend their fragrance ever sweet. It's this, you know, it's, it's around his pierced feet. It's, it's, it's like now from that point, the garden, the expansiveness of what God is going to do and how he does all of these things. And so we're reminded as Christians then to, to now grow in our faith, to now learn how to be the, the people who are redeemed, who, who, who knew our sin and God's promise to redeem us and then knows the promise of Christ and we put our faith in Christ and now we go and we live for Christ and then he, he shows us what that looks like. Paul, specifically in Romans 12, takes that turn. 
You know the turn I'm talking about? Like there's that place where you're driving in, in eastern Colorado, and it's just, people think Colorado, think mountains, right? But half of Colorado is tumbleweeds, dead, flat, gross. You drive through eastern Colorado, and you're like, we're in Colorado? Where's the mountains? Where, where are they? And then all of a sudden, you just take that one little hill, and you look off in the distance, you're like, are those clouds? Are those are those mountains? You know, what, what is it? What, and then you're a little bit closer, a little bit, and then it just, it starts to grow and grow. And it's not that it's growing, it's that you're getting closer, right? You're getting closer and you're starting to see more and more. And the closer you get, the more majestic and the more amazing and the more beautiful and the more expansive they are. And the Christian life is like that. We start in the desolation of, of, of our death and sin. And then we start to see in the distance, right, Christ. And then we put our faith there. We say, that's what it's about. And the more, the longer we live, we should be growing closer and closer to him in such a way that we see him more clearly. We see him bigger. And we see ourselves smaller. I used to, we used to live right on the front range of the mountains. And so literally from one side, we could see the whole city of Denver and, you know, all the smog and whatever else was hovering over it at that particular day. And then it's just, you know, it's just flat. And the other side, it was just straight up mountains. And so I could just, and we would walk straight from our apartment and just down one little road. And all of a sudden you're in this little walking, jogging park. And it's, it's way down this hill. And then you just look up and here's the Flatirons, beautiful mountains of Boulder way off in the distance to the north. And then you have... Uh, Pikes Peak is, you know, way down to the south, and then you have just the Rockies, right? And you'd go walk, and it was just breathtaking. And there was never a morning where we went, you know what, this is getting old. We're just getting tired of this. Let's, let's go back to the flatlands, because this is just, it's, it's getting, it just never was there. You, you always just woke up. There were, I don't know how many, I, mean, I could probably go back and find, I have a videotape somewhere, we had a, you know, we, we bought a new video camera. We were there for like $1,000 back when you had to, to spend money to take videos of things. And, and we had this video camera. And so I would wake up in the morning and before work, I would take like an eight-second video of the sunrise. And it was just every day breathtaking. And that was the opposite of the mountains. <laughs> like you're just looking at, from every place. It was just all this beauty coming in. And, and it just, it, it filled you up. And it was, it was something just to behold and that is what it is like to know Christ. And so Paul and the New Testament writers and the prophecies of the Old Testament and the, the narratives, the histories and, and the psalms and, and just these beautiful uh, poems and songs are written for us. All of these things together. Yes, they all are this one note. They all are bringing together this, this central one message of Christ. But then God just splashes beauty everywhere around us if we keep our eyes focused, fixed at the right hand of the Father at Christ. And so that's what Paul's doing. He's doing that for us as he explains the gospel and then now takes that turn and shows us, now, what does that look like? What does it actually look like? And he says, here's what it looks like. Remember verses 1 and 2 from last week if you were here? This is what it looks like. It looks like living death. He, he said, to present yourselves to God as living sacrifices. Now, uh, we talked about um, how Christians are like the true zombie apocalypse, right? We're, we're, we're the dead people running around at full speed and coming after you. 
uh, not the slow ones, you know. Uh, and you're kind of, you know, like this away from them. And they'll never catch me. And somehow they still end up getting you. Um, these the, uh, we're supposed to be the fast ones. Um, and, and we're supposed to be the ones. <laughs> you, you remember where Paul says that we have the aroma of Christ, right? And he says, what do we carry around? The, the apostles carry around what? Yeah, the body of death the, death. the death of Christ, essentially, is what we're carrying around in this body. And so it is that we are to be living sacrifices, that we die, but we die to ourselves. We don't die literal death. We die spiritual death, or, or we die um, the death of our will, the death of our desire, and we give ourselves to Christ. You cannot, this is, this is, this is not extra Christianity. This is not Christianity plus. This is not Christianity plus the next 10 apps. This is the whole operating system. <laughs> Geeks unite, right? Here we go. Um, th this is it. It's this or nothing. If you want Christ to be added on to your life, you don't have him. If you want Christ to be your life and your life not to be your life anymore, then you can have Christ. It is a giving up of ourselves, not an asking of something on top of ourselves or something to cover ourselves or something to clothe ourselves. We are only clothed in his righteousness because then we are treated as, as Christ by God. We are treated as if we lived those works. But it's not to say we're somehow hiding and living our little lives inside this cocoon. We're not. It is living dead. It is Worship is all of life, which means all of life is live, lived essentially, though we stand and walk and run and sit and, and work and have relationships. We do all these other things. Essentially, every moment of your life is prostrate before God. Except that we're up. I, I mentioned before, I've been, I, was, I was at a church one time and they said, uh, they had they had kneelers, and it was a Baptist church. Shocking. Um, they had kneelers, and so they would say, you know, if you're able to kneel, and, and some of you are in places and have been in times in life when you can't get on your knees. I mean, it is not possible because of other problems that you have physically. And so they would say, you know, let's, let's bow before the Lord, and if you're, if you're not able to bow, then at least bow in your heart. And that is to be the position of all of life for us as living sacrifices, that it is us on our face before God. Not us up chatting with God like, hey, you know, we're buddies and let's have this conversation and hey, I've got this thing, so I'm going to have a discussion with God and kind of, you know, back and forth and I'll go, well, you know, to each his own, you know. We'll just have to agree to disagree, God, on this one. We don't do that with God. He's God and we're not. And once he's God and you're not, you're on your face. And the people who aren't on their face are looking at God as either non-existent or as more of an equal or more of a genie, right? Here he comes and here, what's three wishes? But God's better than a genie because he gives more wishes, right? Not just three. And so I, this is the way we treat God. We haven't even started the sermon yet. Holy cow. Okay, so here we go. You guys wonder why on Christmas I said we're going to preach for 20 minutes and then we're here for an hour. This is why. Okay. So um, we are to be living sacrifices, living death. All of life is worship. 
And we don't make all of life a worship. We simply realize all of life already is worship. You're just worshiping something else or someone else or something else, right? So all of life is already worship. We're just worshiping the wrong things. Then we hear the gospel. You're a sinner, but God made a way for your broken relationship with him to be repaired through Christ. You're a sinner, and so you're going to receive what you deserve, which is death and punishment. And God has sent his son in order to die in your place, to take the punishment that you deserve in order to bring you back to him. And now, through repentance of our sins and faith in Christ, we can have that relationship repaired. Not because we're repairing it, but simply we've trusted that he's done what it takes to repair it. And the only way we can even say that or do that is when God's doing something in here so that we then respond with faith, on our face, in worship. And so by the mercies of God, we present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is our spiritual worship. And then we aren't conformed to the world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. I wasn't pointing to my hairdo, right? By the renewal of our minds, it is only when our minds are renewed. It's another conversation we had in our house just this week. Our minds have to be renewed in order for us to look at the mercies of God and say, he's so merciful, he's so good, and I'm so undeserving, so that I fall on my face and I say, this is all yours. And the truth is, you in your life, right now, at this very moment, I don't care who you are, somewhere deep inside, and for most of us, much more upfront than that, we want, we want our lives to mean something. We want, we want to have our lives do something. We want to have an impact. We want it to last. We all know that in a few years we're going to die. Okay? Think about all of history, how many people have lived, how many people have kept living. We all die, right? We're, we're all going to die soon. Some of us sooner than we think, and all of us sooner than hopefully we want. But we want this lasting impact. We, wanna, we want something. And then some of us, you get to this point in your life where you just kind of give up. You just kind of go, I guess this is as good as it gets. Remember that movie? This is as, as good as it gets? Is that what it was called? Yeah, I think so. and, and there's that moment in the movie where like, maybe, maybe we're searching for something, but maybe this is just as good as it gets. W- what a wonderful romantic comedy idea. Let's call it as good as it gets, and let's uh, think about what it means to settle, or, you know? It's like, maybe this is as good as it gets. And so it's playing off this, this idea that we all have, because it, it works for us, There are times where we get to this point where we go, do we just settle? In our marriage, do we just settle at some point for friendship? I was talking with a friend this week who was talking about his marriage, and he said, you know, my wife and I make great partners in business. They don't work together. We make great partners, like, like business partners. We can, we can run the family organization okay. But he knew that wasn't enough. Something's very, very wrong. So if we want our lives to mean something, it starts with that change of mind built upon our, our, our knowledge of the mercies of God for us by which we lay it all down. 
We don't, we don't have our fishing poles and our, you know, our stuff in our hands and say, well, we've got all these things, but God, find a place in my life. We lay it all down and say, I'll use that fishing pole again as long as I know how I can be giving you glory while I'm doing it. And it's glorious to go fishing. Am I right? Peter, fisherman, right? Okay, we've got fishermen in the Bible. So I don't catch anything when I go fishing, but I enjoy the conversation. That's all I got. I I just throw, you know, I I basically feed fish when I go fishing. (laughs) As long as I use live bait. So now, with that as the foundation to all of the practical stuff, chapters 1 through 11 is the gospel. The beginning of chapter 12 is now, based upon all these mercies of God, living sacrifice. That's who you are. You're a living dead person for the rest of your life. That is what a Christian is by definition. If you're not that, you're not a Christian. Or at least you're in some type of rebellion, need to repent and come back to that as a Christian. Then Paul says this, for... By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Does anybody have any trouble with that? If you don't raise your hand, you have trouble with that. Um, We love to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Who was just telling me? Was it one of you who was talking about when you look in the mirror? Sarah was saying, I don't know, it's public school, so it's probably wrong, but it's um, if when you look at the mirror, you see yourselves as five times more attractive than you actually are. Um, yeah, some of you are going, no, 15 times, right? Um, <clears throat> I, I think Sarah, was, she didn't learn that in school. I think she was just talking about me personally. I'm okay with that. Uh, try to humble myself just a little bit. So by the grace given to me, in other words, I can only say this by grace. It's like a preacher, you know, I stand before you guys. I don't stand here because of this amazing moral authority that I'm better than you. You have to understand that. The minute you think that I'm standing here because I think I'm better than you, I, I, it is the most fearsome thing in my life that I have to stand before people and speak. Not because I'm super nervous about public speaking, but because I answer for this in a way that you won't answer unless you've been called as a teacher. James says that the teachers are going to be held to a a different kind of accountability. And so when I teach, there's something important there. And so it's very important that all of us do this because of the grace given, not because Paul is better than everybody else, but because he simply received the grace of God to know these things. He can say stuff like this. Not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. To think with sober judgment. And guess what he means, right? He doesn't go, well, if you're really awesome, as long as you are thinking soberly about how awesome you are, then that's okay. He's saying you're all a bunch of rotting apples, right? That's, that's the first 11 chapters of Romans. We're, we're all sinners. We're all in the same place. We all deserve nothing. And so once we start there, then we need to, and he talks about the transformation of our minds. He's continuing that thought. That's why he uses the word for. When I, in my Bible, it's double underlined for, because you realize it's connected to what's before it. For by the grace given to me, 
I say to you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. Be realistic. Think of yourself the way God thinks of you. Now, for some of you, to think of yourself the way God thinks of you is to beat yourself up. God thinks I'm awful because he's perfect and I know I'm a sinner. But you only have half the story. Some of you, when you think of how God thinks of you, you only think of how awesome and lovely you are. Because God loves me. He, he gives me everything. I just, I, what, what is God but the sky fairy who answers all my dreams and sprinkles the pixie dust on my life so that all goes well? That's what God's for. And so you think that you're, why, why did Christ die? Because I'm so gorgeous that he wanted to be married to this lovely piece of work. Some of you think that. Some of you think too little of yourself or, or don't only see the one side, the, the sinful side, and so you, you feel God beating you up over it. That's, I side more there. And then some of you are the ones who are always like, oh, but God is just, and you just got the, and so, you know, the worst thing happens when you put on that fakey smile because that's who your God is. He's that schmoozer guy, you know, who's like always, and so you're like, yeah, 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 God's for me. Who could be against me? And you're Tim Tebowing everything. And you're like, yeah, this is great. And it's always going to work out in the end. Paul says to think soberly. In, in other words, that we don't have our judgment impaired by something else. We, we view ourselves realistically. We realize who we are. Some of you need to have your minds transformed so that you see yourself as you are. Because you're seeing yourself as you aren't, and there's no way forward from that kind of false view of yourself. But when we think of ourselves through God's lens, it changes us. It changes us, which is why Paul continues on. So we, we make this right judgment, we make this sober judgment about ourselves. We don't think of ourselves too high. We think of ourselves the way God thinks of us, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, you're going to have some people... This is just very common. You get um, some, you know, teenager who becomes a Christian, uh, usually some dude, and then he like goes, God's called me into ministry, and then you go to school, and then you go to seminary. In the middle of seminary, you're just a flamethrower. You're a fire breather. You're looking for everybody's every problem, and you're just this steam coming out of your ears, you know, he's like a cartoon thing going, right? And you, you are just completely in the face of everybody who doesn't believe what you believe. And then time goes by and you start to go, okay, well, if I keep living my life this way, I don't have any more friends and everybody thinks I'm a jerk and you know, whatever. And then you start to go, hmm, is, is it possible that I'm thinking of myself too highly? Is it possible? And God's grace continues to work on you and he starts to bring you low the way you're supposed to have been all along. But it's not an uncommon phase for many Christians to go through. Not just seminary people, but anybody. I, you know, I meet a, somebody who's been a Christian for two weeks and has read, you know, one book of the Bible and they're telling me what I should believe about God. Really? Let's not think of ourselves too highly. Let's think of ourselves realistically to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So when we're young in our faith, sometimes we're going to be struggling with some, with some arrogance or with some 
you know, insincerity or with some, you know, to, to, to receive gain from the things that we do or the ways that we serve. Paul is saying, okay, let's, let's realize that some people just aren't there yet. They're young in the faith. And so we try to calm them down, pat them on the back, kiss them on the cheek. Maybe kiss them on the cheek, okay? Carefully to lead them to know who they really are because we need others to help us to see who we really are. Maybe because God, and, and you guys know this if you've been a Christian for very long at all, the more faith you have in God, you don't become more proud. You become more humble. The more faith you have in God, you don't become more proud. You don't go, oh, I'm achieving it. I'm getting there. It, once you have that idea in your head that you don't have more faith, you have less, you have more confidence in yourself. The more you have faith in God, the more you're putting your trust in him, the more you're going to be humbled and broken and see your weaknesses clearly. Apostle Paul, when he's at the worst part of his life, what does he look like? Proud, strong. He's the one standing there. They're throwing their coats at his feet. And he says, kill him. Stephen. When he's what we would say as Christians at his strongest, what does he say? I am the chief of sinners. I am the least of the apostles, right? I am, how many times can he just say, this is, this is not what I deserve. This is not who, who I should be. It is all of grace. It is all by faith. So, we've got to think of ourselves rightly with sober judgment. Verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Now, we, we went through, at the beginning of the service, we looked at Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and we looked at um, a passage that it has uh, more detail to it, more description to it. Uh, and Paul gives there and in, in Ephesians 4 and he gives other places. He, he gives some of these, these gifts. We're going to look at some of those gifts here in a second or, or the things that, that we can do um, as Christians. But this is the foundation of all of those gifts is that we have different gifts. We have different parts to the body. And so as the body of Christ, not just us as a local church, but as the body of Christ as a whole, we have all the various things that God wants us to have so that we can serve in the way that God wants us to serve. We have one body, but many members, many, many parts, many hands, feet, fingers, eyes, hair, you know, we have all these different parts. They all serve a different function. I saw in the last week or two, um, my friend Joe, uh, for those of you who know Joe, he now has a beard that's like down to here. Uh, yeah. And, and so in, instead of just going, hey, I've got a cool beard, he like actually is looking up all these old quotes on beards and how like Charles Spurgeon, the, the great preacher in England, said that, a, you know, the beard is to keep a man's neck warm and protect his throat so that he can speak, you know, and his throat sees. And people who depend upon scarves are people, if they forget their scarf, then their throat could be injured by the cold. And, you know, I, you know it's all this stuff. <clears throat> Even the beard serves a purpose, is my point, okay? That's what I'm saying. Um, there, there's all these parts. They all have their function. They all have their purpose. They're all there for a reason. 
And so we wouldn't want to say to certain parts, say, hey, you know, we don't, we don't need you, we don't want you, that you're not useful, you're not whatever. Uh, it, let me just say this. We've got to be careful. Because sometimes what people say is, well, we need, we need every part. And that means we need every person who is present. Just be careful. Number one, because we know, and throughout history, and it's promised in Scripture the same thing, the sheep are always with goats, right? The, the, the wheat is always with tares. The church is always going to have unbelievers among them, even those who can convince the church that they have the fruit of what it means to be a Christian. So they have, and so th- there's, there's always that struggle. We, we, we try to be careful. We try to make sure that we, it's, called, it's called regenerate church membership. Okay, something you'll probably use this week at your job. Regenerate church membership means that the Holy Spirit has regenerated your heart. You are not a Christian because I have these qualifications or because I say that I believed or that I have made some decision. I'm a Christian because God has changed something deeply inside of me. It's not something that I have done. It's something that he has done. And my, what I have done has only been a response of that. Only, only regenerate people are truly Christian. There are lots of people who use the name Christian, lots of people who are members of churches that are not Christian because nothing's changed in their heart. It's only changed on their mouth. It's only changed so that they can have a certain reputation. It's only changed because they're trying to, you know, be a part of some tradition. And so we have to be careful. This is why we do church membership carefully here at Doxa, because we realize that we, we need to try to keep those things separate. But then we also realize no matter how hard you try, there's always going to be some weeds. There's always going to be some who are, who are not saved, who appear saved. So we can't just go, well, that person's acting like a total non-Christian, but we have to try to make them stay because they're a part of the body. They're one of the... You have to make clear lines and describe Scripture carefully so that you go, as John says, if they went out from us because they were not of us, then that's okay. That's why they left, because they were not... A, a truly a Christian, and that can happen. Now, people who are truly Christians can leave and do other stuff. That's not what I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying we, we can't, we have to be careful of our arguments because as much as we love people, we want them to know God. We want to be their friends. I want to serve together with them. Sometimes that's just not possible. That's not where they are. That's not what God has done in them. But now we're talking about those who are Christians, those who are regenerate God has given us each gift so that we all have different functions so that in the diversity of the church, we, f- we fulfill the needs of the church and the, s- the purpose of the church, the-, the things that the church is there for. Not just a local church, but the church in general, the church around the world. And so there are not just, uh, in other places, uh, it talks about God has given some pastors and some evangelists and some prophets, right? It talks about different like offices. And then in other places, it talks about like special gifts, more like the list that we have here that we're going to look at starting in verse uh, six. But before we get there, we have to just make this point clear. We're one body, but we have many parts. This is not new news to most people that are Christians. This is something that's very familiar but we have to be careful not to let the familiar just go over our heads and just kind of just accept it and go, oh, yeah, 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 I know this passage. 
we have to start truly looking at each other and needing what each other has and calling each other. This is why it says to stir each other up to, to love and good deeds, right? Why, why we don't want to fail meeting together because these are all, this is how we function. This is who we are. And so we are doing these things because they are necessary. And we, when we have people who are not serving through whatever gifts God has given them, then something is weakened about the church. We can't function as we're supposed to function. Just as some of you, and, and you know people, if this is not you, but you know people at least who have some part of their body that no longer functions as it's supposed to function. What does that do to your life when something is not working correctly? It, it messes everything up, doesn't it? C.S. Lewis famously said, um, if it wasn't for this toothache, I would write more on the problem of pain. It is something so small, but that pain alone can completely distract us from doing anything, from even having the will to do these productive and, and necessary and important and good and godly things. And so we need each other. And there's going to be times where we're weak and somebody else will fulfill those things where we're weak in order to, to strengthen us again so that we can then serve again. As a part of how the church should function is we, are, we should be looking totally all the time at each other so that we can be thinking about where the needs are, what's, what's not being met, who needs to be served, who needs, you know, who is in a financial problem, who is in a job problem, how can we help them? We're actually trying to form a team right now of uh, just a few of you to consciously and regularly look at the membership uh, of this church, look at the attenders of this church, look at the visitors of this church and say, where, where are their needs? What, what, where are they in their relationship with our church or with our people? And what can we encourage in someone in our church in order to, to go and to meet with them and have coffee or, or to, to go to their house and pray over them because they're sick or to whatever else it is. And so we're starting to, to say we, we need to do that better because we want to serve each other. And, and this isn't like some committee that does it all for everybody else. It's easy to fail there, but it's a, it's, it's just a couple of people who can go, we just want to be making sure we're thinking about this, but we all should be thinking about this. There's a, there's a few of you, especially who I'm always getting emails from. Hey, just want to update you on this person. I want to tell you about this need. I want to tell you about this problem. I want to tell you about this, you know, Hey, this wasn't in the bulletin last week. When's it going to happen? And you know, cause of my stupid brain, I don't put it in there. And so all of that's important. We need each other to be looking around and seeing what the problems are, but we need to all realize who also best fulfills those needs. And all of us can be fulfilling those needs. All of us can be serving that way, which is why Paul then says this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Having gifts, something that comes from God for his purposes, we are now living sacrifices, and then he goes, okay, this is how I've not just gifted you naturally or given you these, these talents by birth, but now, supernaturally, I'm also gifting you to do other things. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, because they are his gift, his grace, that we even have them in the first place, let us use them. That's, that in itself is an exhortation. It is, it is a push to you. Go. 
You don't need someone to tell you to go but Paul. But we are to continually stir one another up in that way. But don't make the excuse that I'm just going to sit here and do nothing until somebody tells me to go. You are built for speed. Okay, some of you are going, okay, that's, that's maybe not the right metaphor, okay? Built for movement, maybe, but uh, speed, maybe not so much. The gifts that God gives you streamlines who you are to make you function well in the calling and in the world that you are in. That functioning well may mean you get up and preach once and somebody kills you, persecutes you, you're dead and gone. That may be it. Or it may be 80 years. But whatever it is, God streamlines you and then says, go. And so I just want to say, as we read these, the question you should be asking yourself is, what am I waiting for? Are you waiting for me as the pastor to tell you or waiting for somebody else to kind of shake you out of your slumber? Are you going, maybe my spouse needs to wake me up? Maybe my, maybe my friends, maybe I'll just, I'll just kind of keep just putting along here until somebody says, why are you going five in a 55? You get those guys in the road, right? Listen, if it's 30 and they're going 28, I think they're crazy. <laughs> I'm, am I okay? Amen. Anybody, please. Who goes 28 in a 30? Do you know how much faster you could get there if you were to go two mile an hour faster for that half a mile drive? You would be there like 0.7 seconds sooner. And, and so, <clears throat> okay, so here, here's my point. We, we need to go, let's stop waiting. We're all, some of you are self-starters. You know what I mean by self-starter, Right? You're the person who just kind of on your own is always going, oh, what's next? What to do? What to? And if you don't find something to do that's productive, you'll find something unproductive. But you're just going to find something and you've got to go and you're going to do something. And, and some of you are not self-starters. And you're the one who's always sitting back going, when somebody tells me exactly what to do at what time and what place, then I'll actually do it. And most of us are somewhere in between, right? Some of you are each other right now. Um, in, in this sense, when Paul writes this, we're all, in some way, supposed to be a self-starter. In some, you're, you're supposed to go, I have this gift, I cannot but use it. Because of the mercies of God, I'm a living sacrifice. My mind is being transformed and been transformed so that now I'm, I'm giving myself over. I realize I'm a part of this body now. And if I don't function, the whole body suffers. If you can't, I remember in, in high school, I, um, the, the best golfer on our golf team, I was on the golf team, okay? I get it. Um, just no, no jokes, please. Uh, I, the, the number one golfer on our team when I was a freshman, his name, his name was Todd, and he broke his finger, one finger. You break one finger on your left hand or whatever it was, I don't remember which hand it was. You break one finger and you're like, well, you know, my finger's broken. It makes it difficult to ride. Or it makes it difficult to whatever. But you generally can function through life. He's a, he's a golfer. Your fingers are pretty important, right? And if you're a football player, you just put a big wad of stuff around it and make it hard, and then you just go and you hit people with your club. But when you're a golfer, you need to wrap your fingers around the club, and it, it, it's all feel and touch and all this stuff, and it makes it difficult. One little thing messes everything else up. And so the encouragement is here. You don't need anybody else to say anything else. What, is, what has God gifted you to do? 
What has God said? This is, this is what you, you should do. This, where is that desire set? Where do you see a need? And you go, that's not being met. And you're going, I hope somebody meets it. Often when you have the vision for something, you have the heart for something. It's not always the case. There's some people who are just visionary people and they see all kinds of needs, but they're better at telling people or, or, or placing people in their places and saying, look, there's this need. I can't fulfill it, but I know you can because this is who you are. Go. And so as Christians, we need to be doing that for each other. That's true. But also as Christians, we need to be doing that to ourselves. And let's go. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, there's disagreement on what, when it says prophecy or what's it talking about. This is when the New Testament is being written. And so in a, in a real sense, prophecy was being given. Um, and then there's kind of this lesser prophecy, not because it's less true, but because it's not supposed to be a part of scripture necessarily uh, in, in New Testament times. And there's some people who say that prophecy is past and some people who say prophecy is still around, but you have to have, you know, it's, it's there for the edification of the church. Some say prophecy really just means preaching. It is the proclamation of the word. When I stand up and I say, this is what God's word says, when I'm speaking the truth, it is prophecy. So there's these disagreements on exactly what it means, but whatever it means, you're to do it in proportion to your faith. Meaning you don't try to overstep your bounds. You don't try to say, well, God's given me a word. I'm going to use this to create a platform. I'm going to create a website with my name as the head. I'm going to have a picture of myself on the front, you know, going like this or going like this, right? Or going like this or whatever it is. And, and, and so now I'm going to start this whole thing. And, and just, just look. Just look around you. Find the people with ministries named after their names and find out how long they last. Find out when they drop into scandal, adultery. You start looking at Benny Hinn, Paula White, and all, all these guys, all these ministries, all these big names. It's as if you have something to say if they're truly regenerate in the first place, but they didn't do it in proportion to faith, and, and that's saying it mildly, okay? But if prophecy, in whatever sense we're, we're publicly speaking to build up and whatever this means, you do it in proportion to your faith and in, in, in accordance with what you know and what you believe, what is, what is true and, and what you're not doing for yourself. If service in our serving, in the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, and all of you are going, why even write this? You're not being very clever, Paul. Let's see. How, this is, I'm going to say it cleverly. If service in our serving, you can't use a different word there. You can't change it up a little bit. You can't give a, if service serving in this way, what, what's he doing? And I'll, I'll just be honest. And I've, I've read this before. And I, you know, I had kind of my understanding of what I thought I was going to get as I studied this. And the more I studied this, the more I went, nope, I, I think, I think I need to tweak this. And so let me try to make this clear for all of these. He lists seven things here. You go to Corinthians, there's some things that match, there's some things that are different. You go to Ephesians, there's some things that match, some things that are different. Here's the point. Paul never at any time says, I'm giving you the exhaustive list of what all the gifts are. Some of you have taken spiritual gift indicator tests. Anybody done that before? Yeah? So you take this test and you fill in all the bubbles and you, put, you input the information and you go, oh, well, I rate really high as somebody who does this and I rate really low as somebody who likes this. And so whenever there's a need in that area, that's not my gift. I'll just say, sorry, I can't help you because that's not really high on my scale on the test. 
those things can be helpful, but they can be dangerous because Paul never gives us an exhaustive list. So even as I read these off, don't think, well, these are the seven. Which of the seven do I have? I don't think that Paul lists all of them if we put them all together. I think that there's plenty more where that comes from. The point is we find out where we are gifted and then we serve. If prophecy in proportion to his faith, in service, if service in our serving. Service is just ministry, right? You see, you see meeting needs. It's going and finding Paul when, or uh, um, in, in Acts when you have the apostles and then they have, they're, they're preaching, but now there's all these needs being found and they're fulfilling all these needs and they're realizing it's cutting into their preaching work. God's called me to this. This is what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm doing this other thing. And this other thing is important and it's good, but it's not what I'm supposed to be doing. So they call out people that we would now call deacons in a church. They, they call these people to lead ministry, to go out and meet the needs so they can focus on their job of the ministry of the word and prayer. So it is in service. It is like that. It is, it is ministry. It's fulfilling these needs. It's finding out where people have these needs and then filling them. The one who teaches is, is using the word. It's, it's wisdom. It's, uh, it is taking the truth and it is making it known. Um, it says, so the one who teaches in his teaching, we have, we have these gifts, let's go use them. And if your gift is teaching, use it in teaching. The one who exhorts, do it in your exhortation. Exhortation is to push. Exhortation is to push. Uh, you know, I, I, even in this room right now, if I wanted to, I could push those of you who are daydreaming, those of you who are falling asleep, those of you who are, you know, looking at me and nodding your head because you think that you're so smart and, you know, and try, I mean, you know what I'm saying. I, I could do that. And those of you who are wearing the wrong color for your hair or eyes, I could exhort you and say, wear this other color. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of things that I could exhort you in doing. And there's all sorts of things that you could exhort others in doing. And it's a very wise thing. What, what, we use, what we use to exhort now tends to become just harshness. We don't do it carefully and lovingly. We don't do it wisely. And, and to be honest, most of us, we also don't receive it well. So no matter how good it comes to us, we're not accepting of it. So both sides of those can be there. But the point is, if your gift is exhortation, then exhort, Paul says. Push and push well. And by the way, exhortation is always for transformation. Not for exaltation of yourself as being so smart. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going I'm to I'm bring these things together here and try to help you understand them with a couple of words. But just give, let me finish these out. The one who contributes in generosity. Well, you're contributing. Isn't that generosity? Yes. And he's just, again, he's sort of repeating himself. But if you're going to contribute, do it in generosity. And in a, in a sense, he's kind of, saying, if you're, if you're going to give, give joyfully. You know people who give, and you know people who are generous. I know people who've given things to me. I could, I could, I, not, not in this church, but outside. I can tell people who have given a gift to me, but who I just feel like is either going through the motions like, well, I have to, or who's trying to win something for themselves by doing it, or who, you know what I'm saying? You, you can find these other reasons to do it. And Paul says, if you're going to contribute, do it in generosity. I mean, I'm, again, I'm going to help wrap this up a little tighter after I get through. The one who leads with zeal. What else is there other than to be a leader who does it with zeal? Isn't that supposed to be a part of leadership? 
That's how you lead. Nobody's going to follow you if you are lacking in zeal. I think Paul, at least in some way here, means beware of laziness. Beware of just kind of going through the motions of leadership or of just fulfilling the, 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 the small things and not getting to the big things. And then he says, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Is it merciful if you don't do it cheerfully? Think about it. Have you ever had somebody do something for you and you're like, wow, they really blessed me and made me feel not blessed. <laughs> Have you ever had that? I've done, somebody did something to bless me, but then they say things to make me go, wow, they really did a lot of work to do this. And they made sure that I knew they did a lot of work to do this. You ever done that to somebody else? To do, to do acts of mercy is not just mere serving, but it is to find the hurting and to help. And he says to do it cheerfully. So I want to kind of bring all these together and say, say it this way so that we don't miss this here now. Um, as Paul works through this non-exhaustive list, there's, there's many other gifts, but as he works through this list, this is, what, well, this is why I think he's just repeating himself. He says, if you're going to serve, do it by serving. Is because some of you are going to serve and do it for selfish gain. Some of you are going to teach and you're going to do it to make a name for yourself or to, you know, to get a writing contract or to, to have, make videos and put them on YouTube or you know what I'm saying? Some of you are going to lead, but you're going to do it in order to make something of yourself. Some of you are going to contribute, but you're going to do it. So everybody goes, look at how great they are. They contributed. They gave. They, 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 they gave tons. Just, just go. Go to any university and try to find a building that wasn't named after the person who gave all the money for it. Try to find it. You don't name a building, Fainer Hall, unless that's a person's name. You don't go, the word Fainer sounds really like, that would be, I sh we should name it Fainer, that's cool. You don't do that. You do it because some dude named Fainer gave you a ton of money to build the building. So here's where I think Paul's going. And you can look at this list and think about your life and go to these other passages, but, but just think, what does God give to me to do? And here's Paul's point. Wrap all of these seven up in this bow. Tie it right here. This is Paul's point. If God has given you a gift, he's given it to you for the sake of using the gift for others. The minute you turn in that gift into something that you do in order to receive back for yourself, it is no longer a gift. It is the means by which you abuse people. It is the means by which you hurt people. You do merciful things, but you don't do it with a kind of cheerfulness, a kind of joy in Christ because of his mercy to us. Yes, you help them in a temporal way. But you can actually lead them to think, oh, it's just about, it's just about paying it forward. It's just about, you know, it's just some cool way to give and then somebody else gives, somebody else gives. Is, you're, you're paying it. You're, pay, you're repaying it. I'll only do it because somebody did it for me. Yet we're to do it because only Christ did it for us. Not, we're not looking for each other going, well, you know what? Somebody has that need, but they haven't done anything for me. The minute you do that, it's all for you. Your gift is given to give. Your service is giving to serve. Your leadership is giving to lead. 
Your, your money has been given to you to, to give, and to give generously and joyfully. Your, your gift of exhortation is given to change people, to truly just exhort them that they might be different. It's not been given for you, for yourself. It's been given for others. And I think that's just very simply Paul's point. If these gifts are done in any way for yourself, they are not a gift of God. They're not you being used in the way God has given them to you to use. You are using them only. And, and this is just where we'll close. The goal of the gift is that the gift is given. And the minute you say, well, I'm going to start becoming bitter if I don't get thank yous and praise and my name gets put in the bulletin, so whatever. The minute you start saying, hey, if this doesn't improve my life or my lifestyle, if this doesn't increase how much people think I'm awesome, I'm not going to do it. The gift has been given to you so it can be given, given, and given. Your life has been given to you to be spent. I prayed before I came up here. God, I, I need, I just spend me on this sermon. Sundays are horrible days for me. They're, they're wonderful in the morning because I'm, I'm, I'm just all there and I'm prepared and, I'm, and I preach. But it's the worst end of the day. Uh, which is why we're moving our small group to Wednesday night is because Sundays are just so horrible. I'm, I'm spent. Even when I do it poorly and selfishly, I, I'm spent. And so it's just, it's, it's not, pastors talk about this uh, fairly universally, but when you're done, you're, you're spent. And it's a part of what my gift is. And my question for you is, is what has God gifted you in and how are you being spent? Not how are you saving and proportioning it just a little bit so that you can just give and keep to yourself. Not so that you can sort of use that for leverage or for self-glorification. How can you give yourself away in a way maybe that nobody will ever know? Some of the greatest, most generous people in this church, nobody will ever know how generous they are because they gave to somebody you don't know and they didn't tell anybody about it. And the more we look at each other and go, well, if I don't see their generosity, I don't think they're generous. If I don't see that they're leading, if I don't see that they're discipling, if I don't see that, that means they're not doing it. Then we don't understand how subversive the gospel was intended to make us. We're made to be spent. Stand with me for closing prayer. I'm not only going to pray for our lunch, but I am also... Um, as we close, going to pray because um, God has led Jerry and Robin Samandel to join with us today in membership. We're so excited. As, as they, <laughs> and, and listen, of, of all people, they have just come in and just served and served and served. And we're so thankful for them. And, and um, now I'm probably doing what I just taught everybody not to do, but um, we're we love them very much and got to spend uh, some time with them over the last couple of weeks, and we're just so glad to, to have them come up. So if you guys would just come up here, I'm going to put my arms around you, and we welcome them. Uh, and you can bring up your family, and everybody is their family, yes, yes. yes. Some of their families downstairs. Um, we just love you guys. We're thankful that you're here, and uh, we're welcoming, welcoming Jerry and Robin into the fellowship. Our next, our next members meeting officially, we will vote them in. 
um, but unofficially, and, and you know, as we do it, we're going to give the amen if you want to receive them into membership. Amen? Amen. amen. Um, we're so thankful that God has given us people who have gifts and who are using them for the sake of the kingdom and who are examples to us of that. And um, may we all today look at this passage and look at our own lives and see how we can be spent in those ways as well and continue to serve better and better and better. Let's pray for the Smandles. Let's pray for lunch. And then we will go downstairs and eat together. Let's pray. God, very thankful for your word. It is good to us as, as you use it by your spirit's power and work in our hearts. We're so thankful, God, for it. We're so thankful that you lead us to things that we don't want to think about, we want to avoid, that we fear dealing with in our own lives. Change us, Lord. Help us to be those people who serve well, who lead well, who exhort well, who, who are merciful well. for your sake and for the sake of those who receive the gift, not for our sake. Father, we're thankful for Jerry and Robin. We're thankful for their family. We love having them here with us at DOXA and the many ways they have served us well already. And we look forward to the weeks and months and years ahead of serving together. And Father, thank you for bringing them here. And thank you for the friendships that our kids have with them and other kids and uh, with theirs. And, and, and thankful for... Um, the love you have given them for you, how Christ is continually on their lips. Use us together as a family of Doxa here. Use us together to bring more into this great kingdom because you are doing it through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Help us now to go and enjoy this meal. Amen. <laughs>